We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Field of 68 After Dark. It is Tuesday night, and uh, I'm Jeff Goodman, pleased to be joined by the Miller brothers, Sean and Archie Miller. I think we'll start with Sean, the elder statesman, and, and then uh, intro the, the young un, uh, uh, young. I don't know if we can call you young, Arch, but uh, you're old, at least I'm an old soul. You are an old soul, but you're young, at least uh, compared to the other guy next to you. Um, all right, we got plenty to talk about tonight, plenty to talk about, and uh Let's get right into it and talk about the North Carolina Tar Heels, which go on the road, and as Roy Williams always does, right? He goes on the road early in the year in a non-conference game. A lot of times it's the first game of the year, and he plays a good mid-major on the road, which seldom happens in college basketball. And Hubert Davis is the beneficiary of this in his rookie year as a head coach, and boy, they almost come up short. They pull away late against the College of Charleston Tough place to play because, you know, you go out for a good meal. You know, you might take a walk. You might go to the beach. There's a lot of things to kind of distract you in Charleston. And maybe that was the case. But this is the second straight one, guys, that Carolina has not looked great and the guards haven't looked great. How concerned are you, Sean, when you look at Hubert Davis implementing kind of a new system here? You know, he's not playing the traditional, necessarily two traditional bigs that Roy has played uh, over the course of his coaching career. Is it just going to take time? Well, Jeff, there's a lot of ways uh, early in the year that you, you improve your team. Uh, you know, sometimes it's playing at home, uh, being the heavy favorite to develop confidence in a young group. Confidence is a big part of sports period in the month of November. You want to develop confidence. There's another way to do it. And that's simply to do what Carolina did tonight where you travel on the road, keep it in mind, you have a lot of players on your team that a year ago played in front of very few spectators, if at all, right? So when you look at the, the backcourt of Caleb Love and R.J. Davis, to take those two guys on the road, let them lead their team and leave with a victory, whether that's by two or 20, that's a completely different feeling of developing confidence. Because we talked last week on the show, what's the hardest thing to do in college basketball? went on the road. And I think when you develop a confidence that you can go in front of the other team's student section without, you know, the powder blue fans and seats, I think it has a funny way of working to your advantage as the competition continues to stiffen as you move into December and certainly the ACC. 
Yeah, I mean, I think with, with these guards, we expected them to take a big jump from their freshman year to sophomore year because generally that's what happens, right, Arch? Freshman year to sophomore year is that time when you expect them and you hope that they, they make that jump. And, and I think they will, but certainly so far they look susceptible to a, a, an upset. They haven't beaten Brown. They gave up, I think, 50 to them at the half and had to squeak out a win there. And now you're talking about they got to go to Mohegan Sun this weekend and deal with a Purdue team that just beat Wright State by about 100 and have arguably the best one-two inside punch, and they don't play together, and Zach Eady and Trevion Williams of anybody in the country. Yeah, I, th- I think that, you know, North Carolina, um, those two young guards uh, are both very good players. Caleb had a good game tonight. He got 12 free throws, scored over 20 points. And RJ, the game prior to that, bailed him out with, I believe, 25-plus. He can really shoot the ball. I think the thing that's going to be interesting with those two guys, sometimes when you make that big jump from freshman to sophomore year, the system you don't learn again. you know. And with the change of Coach Williams going to Coach Hubert Davis, um, are they learning new, you know, a new philosophy? You know, I think if you watch the game tonight, um, there's not as much numbered break. There's some more set plays than, than their normal. They're not running their normal passing game and their motion. Um, they're a little bit more structured. So they're learning again. And anytime as a player, you got to go through that new roster. You got to learn a new style a little bit. There could be some growing pains with that, but both guys are really good players. And I think they're only going to get better with the game they had tonight. Sean mentioned playing on the road, but when you're North Carolina and you're playing Charleston in Charleston, um, that's an incredible hot box to play in for those guys. So for them to be able to get the win, that's a great momentum builder. And as they get ready to play this weekend, especially against Purdue, I think the, the awareness will be up. But they're a new team. They have Manic in there, Dawson Garcia in there. It really will come down to this, though, with North Carolina, Jeff. Mondo Baycott. He's, you know, arguably a player of the year type of guy in the ACC. And he delivered tonight with 24. And um, he's going to have to show up big time this weekend against Purdue. Hey, Sean, do you care how many points you win by at the end of the day as a coach? I mean, or is it just, again, hey, we got the win. We don't care how we got it. I know when you're breaking down film, you're obviously looking at things to, to learning points and to get better. But how much is it just an exhale, especially like you said on the road? Well, it depends on the situation. Obviously, the goal is to win. And also, Jeff, play well, right? If you win and you don't play well and you don't address it, a lot of times and that's that fool's gold that exists. You watch that same team a week later and they just they, they lay an egg. And you almost saw it coming in the last previous win. So you want to win. You want to play well. But Look, there's nothing free right now in November and December in college basketball. Um, I think it's one of the the things that not everybody is on the same page with or understands as much as the coaches that are coaching the game. How much you win by does matter. Now, if you look at the analytics, you know, Ken Palm is, is one. There's several. One of the things that each of those analytics rewards is quality of play, regardless of who you play. And if you're supposed to beat somebody by 18 and you beat them by 40, it helps your analytics. And trust me, because of the competitive nature of making this NCAA tournament with 60-year seniors and in the age of college basketball, maybe the oldest it's been in some time, 
you know, there it's not going to be between five or six teams who's going to get those last bids. It's going to be between more 10 and 12 teams or 12 to 15 teams. So to answer your question, if you can win by 50 and you do it respectfully right. and you play great and you make a statement, then then do it. I think the days of, of, of not of worrying about that have ended simply because you're rewarded for beating a team you're supposed to beat badly. You're rewarded for doing that. Well, Houston beat Virginia by 20, which is kind of like beating Virginia by 50 because of, of, of the way those two teams score. And that's a hell of a win for Houston, although I have said it in the preseason. Every year I talk to Tony Bennett, and he tries to kind of diffuse any expectations, right? Temper them. We're not that good. I don't know how good we are. And usually I'm like, come on, Tony. Like, I know you got Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome. I know you're pretty good this year. Uh, but this year, honestly, most people couldn't name more than one guy on this this team, Kihei Clark. That's it. You know, they got Jaden Gardner, the transfer from ECU. Nobody's seen him play in person. Nobody. So this is a team that, honestly, I, I really felt like had a chance to, to finally slip. I mean, seven of the last eight years, guys, Tony Bennett's team has finished first or second in the ACC. It's amazing. His record crushes Coach K, Roy, Bayheim, it's like 15 games better over the last eight years than K's. It's like 25 better than Roy's and like 30-something better than Bayheim's. It, it's amazing. But I think this is finally the, the time that he falls off a little bit, and you wonder if it is part of the transfer game, right? He lost some guys, uh, Abdul Rahim, you know, he transferred. He, he had other guys kind of transfer out that didn't wait their turn. And this team just, honestly, you, you watch him against Houston – and they were absolutely manhandled, out-toughed. Um, and this Houston team was playing without one of their better players, Tremont Mark. Like, he, he's, he might be their second-best scorer after Marcus Sasser. So, Arch, surprised at all about Virginia? Worried? I'm not surprised. I mean, I, I think they're a work in progress. They have a completely new roster on the floor. The two transfers, adding Armand Franklin, the kid from ECU, being two of their better guys, never being a part of their offense or their defense, you know, that's going to be an adjustment. But their other guys are stepping into all new roles. But, you know, this is the name of the game in college basketball. It's roster management. You know, you could have a great roster one year. The next thing you know, between the NBA, the transfer portal, um, you know, your team completely flips. And I think Virginia's in that flip mode right now where they're going to have to grow this team. And here's the thing about, you know, Virginia, um, regardless of what they're doing right now, you have to assume with great confidence that come January and February, they're going to continue to get better and better and better. They're not going to change much. They're only going to get more experience playing a game like this will probably really help them. And they'll be right in the hunt of things in the ACC as things get going, because that's what a great you know, staff and program do. They stick with it. They believe in what they do. And Virginia is probably a model for believing in what you do, but they definitely have a reset and they're going to have to uh, work in progress, especially I think offensively, defensively, they're going to get their, their deal down and they're going to be tough, but offensively, they're going to have to, you know, figure a way out how to score tonight. You know, turnovers was a big deal. You know, they had 12, I think in the first half, if you watch Virginia play over the course of his tenure year, they don't turn it over about 12 times a game, let alone 12 and a half. So they're going to have to get a little bit more efficient with their offense, but they ran into a buzzsaw tonight as well. Houston's a great defensive team, great road environment for them to go into. 
And uh, that was going to be a tough game for anybody who played in there tonight. Yeah, I agree with Jeff. One thing I would say about Virginia, you know, it's, it's too early to judge them completely. We all know they will improve as the year goes on, but I thought the storyline of the Houston um, Virginia game tonight was more how good Houston is. I mean, Marcus Sasser, you talk about a two-way player, a guy that does it on offense and defense. Really, you know, there's a term two-way player, right, that, that we just talked about. He's somebody that can beat you with his defense and his offense. Houston is like a two-way team. On given nights, they can be impossible to score against, and that's why they win, winning on the road. In-conference play comes down to a lot of games like that. But offensively, they have some answers as well. Uh, they were a Final Four team a year ago, and they're picking right up where they left off. They will be a tough out. They're they're on the beginning quest of having a great, great season. Uh, I was really impressed with Houston. No, they were – listen, they're terrific. And you're talking about two of the better coaches around the country and, and those two guys. And they, you're right. I mean, you can't be dumb and give up on a Tony Bennett team. But you just – you look at him and you say, if he can do it with this team – can we just put him in the Hall of Fame like tomorrow? If he can get this team first or second in the ACC, don't make him wait. Just throw him in there at the end of the year because, you know, again, those bigs, maybe they'll come and they probably will get better. I just don't know if, if it's the talent that we've been accustomed to um, for, for Tony Bennett. Um, you know, and, and, and again, you know, what can you say about Kelvin Sampson? You know, Final Four last year. And they're a team that certainly, I think, can compete, um, you know, with Memphis. And they'll get back to the tournament. They play tough. Uh, we know that. You know, the, the the big question I have for Houston is, again, do they have enough scoring with Sasser? Right now, Sasser is the guy. He made some crazy, contested, difficult, you know, lower percentage shots tonight. Is that what you want to rely on? You're going to rely the on one thing. The one thing about Houston tonight, Jeff, is they got nine made threes by Edwards and Sasser. Yep. You know, two guys make nine threes combined. That's pretty good right there, you know, in terms of firepower. But the thing that Houston does, man, they just, they, they, the glass, the rebounding, the way that they play, they're always going to be, they're always going to be right there. And, um, but, but those two guards shot it tonight, which was, which was impressive. All right, let, let's let's move on to the big story of the day uh, as we've got this uh, Michigan game, uh, Michigan Seton Hall game kind of wrapping up here at the end. Oh, it looks like the Seton Hall is going to win it. I tell you Seton what, Hall one. Yeah, team that hung in there. And this is this will be one of the best road victories of the non-conference season here. If they, I mean, if they hold Kevin on. Willard, give this guy credit. I mean, yeah. five years into his tenure at Seton Hall, how about this, guys? There was like a come to Jesus moment with him and the AD and I believe his agent. And it was like close. Do we go in a different direction? And he, he and his then AD were super close. Um, and, and they talked about it and they decided, you know what, we're going to stick with him. We trust in him. And ever since then, I mean, they've been unbelievable. He has completely. And, and you guys know how hard a job that Seton Hall job is. That is not an easy job by any means. I mean, recruiting recruiting to Newark, uh, New Jersey, not the easiest thing to do. And he's done it. And uh, you're right. I mean, you get this win. It's a probably as good a win because, again, I put so much more value into these road wins than I do the neutral sites. 
The neutral site wins, they're good, but they aren't even close. I just went to UCLA and Gonzaga, guys. Like, it is off. I mean, you you know, and it's been two years since we've seen it, right? So to have the crowds back and have people in Ann Arbor for this game against Seton Hall and those fans, this win is like, it's it's huge for Seton Hall, isn't it? For sure. Yeah. Hey, if Jesus was invited to that meeting, he gave some great advice to the Seton Hall athletic director, Jeff. Yeah. Keep no question. And what's happening and what will continue to happen. Kevin Willard is doing as good of a job running his program and coaching his team as, as any coach in the country. Tonight's win wasn't just a great road victory for Seton Hall. It's a great road victory for the Big East Conference. And again, you know, as we look at November and December, the days of cheering against teams or programs in your conference are over. Seton Hall wants every Big East team to win. Every Big East team should have been cheering like crazy tonight for Seton Hall to beat Michigan. Uh, huge, huge victory uh, for Seton Hall. When I watched the game tonight, and Michigan was winning for most of the game, right. you just had a sense, though, that Seton Hall is good. They have a lot of pieces. They have uh, a toughness about them, kind of like Houston. They have the ability to defend. They have the ability to score. They have confidence at both ends. And uh, you look at Seton Hall tonight. Uh, tonight was a great, great, great victory for their program. Yeah, I mean, Jared Roden is kind of that guy. I mean, Seton Hall's had, it feels like, a guy over the last few years, right? They had certainly Miles Powell, then uh, Sandro. Now, now they, I think Jared Roden's going to be that guy. And Kevin Willard's done a great job recruiting because I don't think any of them were huge, big-time recruits. And he kind of finds these guys and develops them. And Roden was hurt to start the year. But, um, you know, they, this was a heck of a win against, you know, a Michigan team that we still have to remember, guys. This Michigan team, yes, they do have Hunter Dickinson. They do have Eli Brooks. But the rest of these pieces, for the most part, Brandon Johns too, but the rest of these pieces are new. You know, they've got a new point guard who came from Coastal Carolina. You know that, Arch. They've got freshmen that, frankly, were ranked high, but we don't know how good they are. Like, the rankings to me this year, other than the Chets, the Palos, the Amani Bateses, some of these other guys, I think you could throw them out the window for the most part because nobody saw these kids consistently. You know, it, it's a bunch of guys ranking them that, frankly, normally – they rank them calling the coaches and finding out who's really good. And that's how they come up with the rankings. Well, this time, none of you guys saw any of these kids play in person because you couldn't get out. So, Arch, do we put a lot of stock into this? Because Michigan, as much as we said Virginia's going to get better, I think Michigan's got a long way to go. Michigan's going to get a lot better. They play really hard. That was a 50-50 game. Um, they didn't shoot the ball well tonight from three. And I think – you know, the difference in Michigan's team right now as they, they sort of take shape compared to what they were a year ago. You take Isaiah Livers, an NBA player, and in my opinion, if he doesn't get hurt at the end of the year last year, Michigan can win the national championship and play should or at least been favored to get to the final four. They almost did it without him. You have a lottery pick in, in Franz Wagner. And both of those two guys at six, seven, six foot nine, shooting the ball and their skill level around Dickinson, it's much different than their current team that's on the floor right now. Brandon Johns, 
the young freshman big who's out there with them. Those guys aren't prolific perimeter players. So they're actually playing a more unconventional or traditional big lineup, which is a little unique. And then Sean D. Brown and, and Mike Smith, both of those two guys, old, strong, you know, great role guys around those guys last year that fit in perfect. And I think their team is going to develop. They're playing freshmen. Um, they're going to have to find a way to shoot the ball from the three a little bit better than they did tonight. I think they may have been about three for 14 or 15. They're going to need a couple guys to emerge like Terrence Williams or whatnot, but they're not the same team that they were a year ago. And I don't think anybody should be looking at Michigan saying what they are right now is what they should, you know, be projected to do at the end of the season. It was a much different team a year ago that took the floor, a lot of firepower. And, uh, you know, to me, they're going to get better. They're going to get older. Um, but, you know, tonight, Seton Hall makes nine threes to Michigan's three. That's a big difference in the game. And, and like Sean said, Seton Hall, they are just a tough bunch of guys. Kevin has a niche in recruiting. Guys have an edge. They're old school Big East guys, and they play that way. And they went and got a good win tonight. Michigan, at the end of the day, is going to have a great season. But they're not the team they were a year ago as they start the season. Arch, were you at all, have you been surprised at the job Juwan Howard's done? Because I've said it for years, you know, a lot of these NBA guys come in and they don't work as hard as a lot of the college guys, especially when they have a hundred million plus in the, in the bank, you know, it's not their livelihood on the, on the line as much. Uh, Juwan's done a great job, you know, took over, you know, had some good players from Beeline, has a great brand, put together a good staff, uh, all of that. Were you surprised? Because I was thinking most guys in the Big Ten didn't want to see Ed Cooley hired more than they didn't want to see Juwan Howard at the time. Now, again, now completely different. Well, I mean, let's take a look at, at Juwan coming in the door. Uh, I think Coach Beeline had three teams that competed to get to the final four before he got there. You know, he left a group of stable winners. Isaiah Livers was a freshman in the national championship game. When he got him, you know, he ended up being able to convince Wagner to come and he kept a core group early together. Those guys are still somewhat together. And what he did was I thought it was a great deal in his style. It really complemented what Coach Beeline had already been doing. Their style of play and how he was playing to me really fit with the way that those guys had played before. And as they've gotten in year one to two, I think what Juwan has done a great job with is he's brought a little bit of that Miami heat competitive flavor to a Michigan brand. That's a little bit unique. They have an edge about them. They have a toughness. A, a, they're very competitive. And I think that's one thing that, that that's not going away, but the thing Juwan's done a great job of, he's done a great job of recruiting. He, he has made that something that no one is going to say, hey, Juwan Howard doesn't has to get his feet on the ground before you're going to be able to do that. He's hit it running. He's got a good staff. He's bringing in good players. And at the end of the day, Michigan is in great hands. Uh, but I'm not surprised at all at the end of the day that he's doing a great job. I think his starting point with some of the pieces that he inherited helped along the way. But there's no question you got to win with the guys that you have. And he's done that. Yeah, and that, that's huge, John, right? I mean, when you take over a program, you need momentum quickly. You were able to get it because of a, a kid named Derek Williams. Thank right? God. 
No, that's right. No, no <laughs> question. Yeah, we. Uh, that's a story for another day. But look, coaching change happens. The new coach has a greater, greater ability to be successfully long term if on day one he can inherit quality players. Like if his first group, his first team, when he goes to that first practice, he has a group that's been there before and done it, that has won maybe a couple of all-conference players, one all-conference player, a few younger players that can really be with him for the I next three or four waiting. years. Like they're you know, just, that's essential. Up, if that's waiting. not in place today, you know, the, the lack of momentum, it's just uh, – you know, you don't have five, as much time minutes, as you five, once did. Stops. Let's say and, it like uh, that, like, right? No coach has as much time as they once did. And to be able to smile. inherit a group right. that's five, solid, that's been there and done it, I think Arch made a really All good right, point. Go. Let's give John Beeline a lot of credit for not only what he did at Michigan, but the team he actually left, you know, for these guys, Jawan and his staff to come in and coach. And then, hey, then it's up to Jawan. He's done an equally excellent job you know recruiting and going but uh that that beginning stages you're talking about uber davis earlier and i know a lot's been said about them changing the style i, I hope he doesn't change the style too much right that's a style that's worked. worked for a long long period of time and i think what you'll see is for the most part Five. things will remain the same and then he'll put maybe a few tweaks you know on, on maybe a style that better fits his personality or moving forward but what, what is the gift that was left to him is roster. He has the opportunity to get off to a quality start. And when you have the ability to get off to a quality start and get momentum, four, it's funny three, how two, you, can, you can All right, now keep please. going year two, four, or five, and, and not look back for sure. Five, what, what's four, it like? Because Hubert is the All right, now please be joined by uh, Memphis right, freshman. I mean, Roy Williams. You replaced a legend. Um, you know, there's a little bit of time there in between, but. Not much from Lute Olson, and it, I know better than anybody. Being an Arizona alum, Dark, it was good a to see you. Trainer, yeah, so uh, you know, from yes, sir. Thank uh, you. Kevin O'Neill, and we won't get into all that. But you know, it, it was it was not easy. But you know, what was that like for you? How do you navigate that with a guy like you know Lute Olson? I appreciate you. You know, it's a little bit different because at least Roy. Knows Hubert, right? Hubert Dark was, to see was coaching with Roy for so you long. So there, you didn't have that relationship with Lute Olson. Right. Coach Olson was always great to me. And I think he valued the program. If you're going to put your heart and soul into a community, into a university, into a college basketball program for 23 years, the last thing you want to see it do is fail. Uh, you don't, you want to see it continue to have success. So the support that Coach Olson always gave me and the program, it allowed us to continue on when we had we had the success. But um, inheriting a great roster, I think, is a storyline to a lot of coaching changes this year. Even John Shire, I think, as you look at how he's recruiting for next season yeah. and you look at the group of guys that he has right now, the number one thing that he inherits is a great roster. And that roster can, can really – present a lot of momentum towards him being successful for the long haul how about this score guys and sean you will be shocked by this score byu 52 in eugene oregon 31 how about that talk about a road win a good road win if that holds up which again you're talking 13 minutes left in the game 
I think Mark Pope is one of the more underrated coaches in the country. I've said this for years. He's done a great job there. He brings kind of a dynamic personality, a lot of energy to the team. And, and they're an older team. I mean, Oregon's Jeff, right now. Too. Please, Jeff, you have BYU if they finish this deal off tonight. After dark, Oregon, good to see you. Oregon. Is there in the first two weeks of the season? I would argue that they're arguably a top five to top ten team right now with those yeah. two wins early in the year. And I, I agree, agree. Works too, Jeff. What happens is you start looking at those those automatic bids, right? And everyone loves to say we're nowhere close to March. November and December mean more to March than any other two months. Totally. Because who you play and who you beat puts not only you in a different category, it puts the conference that you're in in a different category. So, for example, when you look at BYU and they have, you know, a top 20 win over San Diego State and they're playing in Portland against Oregon, who's going to be a very good team, you know, all of a sudden you start saying, for the most part, entering January – they're going to be a hard team to prevent getting into the NCAA tournament. That's one less spot. And that's why scheduling. And we talked about this last week, a lot arch having a great home court in November and December. So that when you play a team that you get your best effort, not only from your team, but the best atmosphere you can get from your arena. I'll tell you right now, if UCLA played Villanova with a, with a 75% attendance in Pauley pavilion, you know, where there's a lot of people there, but it wasn't sold out and rocking. I don't know if UCLA beats Villanova at home last week. One of the keys to that victory was Paul Pavilion was rocking. It was sold out. They inspired the team. Villanova had to play, leave Philadelphia, come to LA, which is not easy, play against a very, very good team in UCLA, not easy. But the third thing they had to do is they also had to go against that home crowd. And I think as you look at these games across the country, Seton Hall winning at Michigan, those are results that will be big in early March. Yeah. yeah. And I would say, I would say this, Jeff. All right. Now, please be joined by uh, live and, and them moving into the big 12, the Marriott center in Provo is 20,000 plus right. when Kansas shows up, when yep. San Diego state just showed up, BYU is a great, place and they have as good of a home court as anybody yeah and and pope's done a good job again listen byu the word you always use with them is old right they're even older than usual in a way because you know barcelo comes back for what seems to be his like eighth or ninth year it's his sixth year uh tijan lucas comes in a fifth year transfer who started in the big 10 played well at milwaukee Kansas was was actually uh, recruiting him out of the portal this past All right, year. Now, You've got uh, some good young talent too. Caleb Loner is a terrific, terrific young forward, sophomore. So uh, Pope's done a great job, and like you said, Sean, you know it helps you too because BYU. You know Gonzaga is going to be a resume win. Now you add BYU as a resume win, and that might get St. Mary's, who could be on the fringe, right, of of getting in. They're on the bubble. And then they get one maybe at home against the BYU, who's a, a top 10 team. And that becomes a, a huge resume win. What, what do you guys think? When I do my rankings every year, people kill me because I do them based on resume. I don't do them based on what I think necessarily. Like BYU, I would probably have them based on resume somewhere in the top 10, maybe even five next week. 
because their resume is better. Now, right. are they better? I don't know, but they've earned that ranking, in my opinion, by winning games like San Diego State, by if they hold on and beat Oregon, and I got that wrong, it wasn't in Eugene, it was in Portland, but still a heck of a win. You guys agree with that? Do you, do you care about the rankings? Did either one of you give a shit at all about the rankings? I mean, I think it, it early on in the season, you know, it doesn't play that big of a role. Sometimes at the beginning of the year, you as a coach know you're not as good as it. Yeah. And you, it's kind of it's it's you're not as good as people think. And, and sometimes you may think you're better um, and you're not. And you use that as an advantage. But I think as the course of the season goes and you're part of that top 10, 15, top 25, it's something that, that you hold your guys accountable. You should be proud of it because you're one of the best teams in the country. But I think early in the season, especially in these first month in November, you get through the ACC Big Ten Challenge. It starts to sort itself out early and you can start to tear it a little bit where you're going to start finding some teams that are a little bit better than the others. And then as the season goes, some guys will get some momentum in conference play and they'll start to climb. But I think as you get through feast week, Maui, Maui to me, right around Maui, you start to figure it out, get through the ACC Big Ten you start to get some tears. There's some teams that are clearly head and shoulders by some of their great wins. And uh, I think Houston heading to Maui this week will be very interesting. They're in that field with Oregon and St. Mary's. It's a great field. Uh, but Houston is heading into that thing. Well, I wouldn't want to play them on like no prep, no prep. You know, that first day is over, second day. I don't know if I'd want to see them as that Maui thing continues to unfold. I wouldn't be surprised if they're not playing for the championship uh, next week um, in the Maui Invitational. I'll tell you what, guys. I mean, one thing kind of not off topic completely, but sort of was, again, being at these games at UCLA, at Gonzaga, just it furthering my opinion of the fact that, like, these neutral site games, most of them, like, I don't like them. I mean, I like the matchups and everything. But when you get there in those crowds and you guys both coached, two of the best arenas you will possibly find. I mean, I think I hate to say it, but I think it's true. Assembly hall is top five. And I think McHale probably top 10. If I had to say, I put UD arena in the Cintas center right up there as well. Yeah. I mean, these, these, these environments are what makes college basketball. And we, we keep leaning further and further into these neutral site games. And I don't like it. I, I just don't. I mean, I'm going to see two great days and four really good teams this weekend at Mohegan Sun in Connecticut, you know, Purdue, Villanova, uh, Carolina, Tennessee, four top 20 teams. But I'm not nearly as excited as I was to go to obviously see Villanova, UCLA. And even though Texas, Gonzaga was not a good game. I mean, the buildup, just watching those students sprint in. I mean, it's just it's what college basketball is all about. And it's what we missed all of last year. So I don't know how we can change it guys. And I don't know why it's gotten to a point where more teams now want to play in neutral site games rather than play home and homes. You guys have a take on that? Well, Jeff, remember Arch and I are two great examples, right? The big 10 went to a 20 game regular season schedule. So you think about it, you're coaching a big 10, you're going to play two of your, your conference games before Christmas. You know, when you have a young team or you have a transition year, Let's use Tony Bennett as an example where he has guys in different roles for the first time. They're going to get better, 
but two of his games before Christmas are ACC conference games, right? Two of your games before Christmas at Arizona are Pac-12 conference games. That's number number one. That's two less games you have a chance to schedule, and you have to be smart too. You know, developing confidence. You know, each team is different. You know, as much as we're rewarding BYU right now, I think one of the things they're really relying on is great returning experience. Um, some other teams right now that don't look the part, if you catch up with them eight weeks from today, maybe like, wow, have they gotten better? Well, of course, because they had a lot more new faces. But the one thing that that nobody can deny is the importance of these early season games. They're they're tremendously important for NCAA tournament seeding, who's going to make the tournament and who isn't. And you watch a team like BYU beat San Diego State, and right now they're leading you know, Oregon by a large margin in Portland. Those are two great victories before they even hit conference play. You know, I'll also uh, hit on this, Jeff, because I think it'd be unfair if I didn't. I recruited Alex Barcelo at Arizona, and Alex was with us for two years at kind of a tumultuous time for us as a program. And at the end of the day, he made a decision to leave us and go to BYU. And it was the best decision for him. His style of play, the dynamics and where he went to was a better overall fit for him as a player. If you look at what he's become, he's become an all conference player, watching him play a little bit tonight against Oregon. He might be one of the best guards in the country based on what he brings to, to his team day in, day out, night in, night out. And he has experience. He's a great shooter. So, you know, everybody talks about that transfer portal as if it's evil. There are examples sometimes, if it's done for the right reasons, that a change can benefit both parties. And I think, you know, watching Alex grow at BYU, I'm really, really happy for him and his family because he's a great kid and he's, he's really turned into a terrific player. Did, did he shoot it as well? Um, when you recruited him and when he got, I mean, he shot 47 from three last year. I think he led the country. He always could really shoot it. He never quite got comfortable in a game situation for us. And it was my fault as much as any. It was the role that he had. We, we were kind of going in between the one and the two. And the way we played, there was a big difference between being the point guard and the two. At BYU, I, I think there's not as big of a difference He's freed up to shoot. He plays with a great amount of confidence. And look, the role that he has is a big one. So uh, he doesn't have to look over his shoulder at all. Some guys, if they look over their shoulder, that's actually a good thing. <laughs> that brings out the best right, in them right. way, right? Uh, some guys, if they look over their shoulder, they're never going to quite be as comfortable as they could be. And uh, I think watching Alex play at BYU, it's a real credit to Mark Pope and his staff how comfortable he's become. And again, experience, tough, a tough team to defend. Uh, BYU is off to a great start. So um, Duke freshman Paolo Bencaro tonight had 10 points and eight rebounds uh, in a win uh, over Gardner-Webb. They, they killed Gardner-Webb. That wasn't the story, though. The, the story came this morning um, when the Raleigh News and Observer broke uh, a story that Michael Savarino was arrested uh, Sunday morning uh, for DWI. And in the car was uh, Paolo Bencaro, and he was in the backseat. Severino happens to be Coach K's grandson, who is a walk-on at Duke. Severino did not suit up tonight. Paolo played, started, and again had 10 points and eight rebounds and played 26 or 28 minutes or something like that. Um, you guys surprised at all? 
that Paulo played? I mean, I'm not. I'm not there. And I think you have to trust that Coach K, his administration, and his staff, you know, clearly have their their arms around the situation. Every single coach is going to go through a situation where they get that phone call and it's not good. And you have two good kids who probably did something they weren't supposed to do. And at the end of the day, it comes across the ticker. That's what you try to educate your guys on all the time. Obviously, the scenario with the DUI or the DWI is not a good thing. Um, you know, the, the rug situation is obviously very fresh on everyone's minds, very dangerous. But at the same time, not there. You don't know the dynamics around the situation. And, you know, I think you have to rely on their administration, their program. Um, they, they, they have those answers. So, but everyone's been there. And every situation kind of has a different story. I've been there a number of times. And uh, sometimes it, it ends poorly for everybody and everyone suffers. And then there's other times there's some hard lessons to learn, but everyone can kind of move through it. Um, but I do think good guy, Sean said it all the time, you know, good kids make bad decisions sometimes, man. And at the end of the day, these guys just have to understand that they're the ones that come across the ticker. The other 15,000 DUIs that went on on Sunday night across America aren't announced. And, you know, inevitably, especially playing at Duke, there's such a light on you, but you know, um, you got to rely on, on your administration and your program and, and what, what's going on. You have the information. So it's hard to comment on somebody else's situation. Yeah. They're all different. And, and the yeah. other part of that, Sean, the other part that I did not mention was it was Paulo Bancaro's car that, that Severino was driving. So that's the other dynamic added to this. And that's why they're both going to have court dates because what the police were, were saying at least according to the newspaper, was that Paolo shouldn't have let Severino drive his car intoxicated. Yeah, I have two really strong thoughts on it, Jeff. One is the hardest thing to do as a coach is to get the truth and the facts. Get the facts, get the facts, get the facts. You, you're so used to as a coach to doing it yourself. Hey, let me solve this problem. These kids are under my watch. I want, I want everything to go perfect for them while they're in our program. And when something doesn't go perfect, how can I fix it? Look at that, at that point, you're relying on the right people to get the truth and the facts. And then once the truth and the facts uh, come up, then, you know, you don't make this decision by yourself. I would imagine not even coach K who's been at Duke for so long is going to make this the one and only voice on the decision. You know, they have an administration, they have protocols, this is much bigger than just uh, the singular incident. So I'm sure that together they'll end up making the right decision. Uh, my second thought on it is, uh, and Arch is right, great kids can make a bad decision. Think great kids, not good kids, but great kids. They're at college for a reason. And as much as we want them to be robots and see every situation for what it is and make the right decision, sometimes they make mistakes. When they make a mistake, you hope that, you know, everybody is safe in this situation. It seems like everybody was safe. And then sometimes the best way to learn from it is to learn by making the wrong decision. It's much more powerful lesson when you have to go through this tough period of time. And uh, my hope is that everybody, especially those two guys, come out on the other side of this uh, smarter, better. And down the road, they'll have a similar situation and, uh, and they'll end up making the right decision then. So part of college, it's still learning. 
<laughs> it's it's not to prevent mistakes. It's not to, to be perfect. It's to learn when you when you make the wrong decision to grow from it. And when you're 18 years old or 19 years old, you know, trust me, uh, decision making, you know, there's plenty that you're going to have a do over if you can when you're later in life. Listen, I, you know, I don't know if you guys will admit it, but I, I made that mistake when I was younger and probably older than uh, than they were. So um, you, you get fortunate in, in those situations. And, you know, the hard thing for Kay has got to be it's his grandson. You know, it's his grandson involved in this one. Like, I know if that were my daughter, it, damn right, I'd be pissed. And damn right, I'd be I'd be disappointed in the fact that that she were doing this, because what we don't want more than anything, I think, is for our kids or our grandkids to make the same mistakes we made. Right. I mean, that's kind of like the first thing we're doing as parents is like, don't make the mistake, you know, the same mistakes we made. So um, luckily they're okay. Hopefully they do learn from it. And uh, we saw Paulo out there and uh, Severino, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll see out there soon. All right. We got a question in the chat uh, from, from Dave who says, and this is, this is a good one for both you guys. uh, Can the Big East keep it, uh, keep it going Thursday night with Xavier going to Ohio state? I think it's actually, I oh, think it's Ohio State goes to, going Xavier. to Xavier, to the Santa Center. So uh, Ohio State didn't have Justice suing last game. He's dealing with an He's injury. struggling, Jeff. He's they struggling. are. Yeah. You I, know, ju- Justice suing um, has really battled a groin injury for about six months. Wow. And I think, you know, they've really taken a cautious approach to it. Yeah. And this could be one of these things that they have to manage, which unfortunately for them would be tough. Uh, because I really believe he is such a key ingredient to what they're doing. Um, they've also had injuries to Kyle Young, and they're trying to protect them. Their depth is better, uh, but uh, going into Centos is not going to be easy with that crowd, as Sean obviously could tell you. Plus, I, I, I've stated this a number of times, uh, when the Buckeyes show up to anywhere in the state of Ohio on the road, it'll be maybe one of the hardest things that they'll encounter but you know Chris Holtman took a team to Cincinnati a few years ago when Mick opened up the new um, arena there on campus and he came out of there with a win he's got a great temperament and his team will be prepared that game will go down to the wire Um, Xavier has as good of a chance to probably win it as Ohio State but I don't think Ohio State will be uh, in awe or or, or will get overwhelmed by Cintas. I mean, the, you know, the, the, job crazy- Holman, the job, Jeff, yeah. that Chris Holman has done at Ohio State is very, very underappreciated and understated. Yeah. It might not be underappreciated by the people that matter the most at Ohio State, but nationally, I think people would be surprised if you pulled up what he's accomplished in his brief time as the head coach at Ohio State. This game on Thursday, it's one of those games we just finished talking about. You know, when you go to Xavier, play a true non-conference game at a, at a at a historic arena like the Centos Center has become, you know, it's going to be a game of great meaning. It's a shame that Fremantle is not going to be playing. You know, yes. I mean, he's an all-conference player for Xavier. He's an all-Big East player. I mean, he's six foot nine. And he could play anywhere in the country. And they have to go almost through their entire non-conference season without him. So again, that's the other part of this November and December, staying healthy. You know, some teams will get more healthy in January and February than they were here early on. 
unfortunately, that's where Xavier's at. But uh, I think it's going to be a great game. I'm going to go with the home team there. I think, uh, you know, you think about the statement the Big East would make to have Seton Hall go to Michigan. Providence. Xavier, Xavier win. And then Providence go to Wisconsin and win, win the road game they won last night. That's what happens all of a sudden. You want to know why Big East gets as many bids as they ever have. That's why. Had. 100%. December and December. I, I, will not, I will not cave into the deal of college basketball begins when conference play begins. Nope. Most of the huge decisions and who's going to make the tournament have already been made by who played who, who won, who was healthy, and the non-conference seasons that, that these programs have had. No, you're right. That's when the conference resumes are made. That That is absolutely true. And, and you're right. Like, you get off to a good start if you're the Big East. You put yourself in position to get five or six teams, even though at the end of the year, you might not have five or six that are really worthy. But you got off to such a good start that you already you already got those resume wins, and then they beat up on each other. And yeah. maybe a team that yeah. shouldn't ordinarily get in, you know, Providence – the Big East is set up to have a remarkable year right now at the pace they're going, because if you look at the ACC and the Pac-12, they've already combined over a dozen losses in the non-conference in those two leagues. A lot of buy game um, losses. Yeah, too. buy game, buy games. And yeah. I think that's what the success of the Big Ten has been yeah. so strong the last few years. The non-conference has been, a, I mean, clearly almost 80% win percentage in the non-conference for the league. Then you go into the league and you go eight and 12 or nine and 11 and you get a bid because it's so strong coming in. And I think the big East right now has some really, really. All right. Now cast to be joined. Providence Seton hall. I could be missing a couple. Well, you know, who's tomorrow. Well, I think St. John's is at assembly hall and then uh, Michigan state is at Butler and Ohio state is at Xavier. So there's still three to go in that Gavit games crossover. But uh, if the big East would hold serve um, with UConn, obviously being pretty strong as well, I don't think they're in it this year. And I don't think Villanova's in it this year. You're, you're looking at, what are they? 10 teams. Yeah. You are arguably right now are looking at 70% of their league is fighting for a bid. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, and Villanova is going to be fine. And I think UConn is going to be fine. Like those are probably your, mm-hmm. you know, those might be your two best teams in the league anyway. So they're not going to need that. But but teams like Marquette getting that win, you know, the, the hard thing for me is always, okay, Marquette got that win. All right, they no got Kofi. it without Kofi. No Kofi. Right. So, like, how much stock do you put in that one? That, you put a lot of stock in Illinois' resume. That you won't knock Marquette for winning the game right. against Illinois at home come the end of the day. But Illinois' resume without him, yeah. um, you'll definitely take a peek at that game because arguably that's a big difference for their team. I think that's why Andre Corbello struggled so much. Things were hard for him last night without the big fella being that easy catch, easy roller, easy outlet. Um, you know, he had to do a lot of work, and I thought he overdid it just in terms of trying to make some things happen. And, and it really inexplicably just, you know, kind of went to Marquette because of it. Boy, I, I just I couldn't believe what I was watching, to be honest, because Curbelo is a guy that I know he can be wild, but but the one thing he can do is, is handle the ball. 
right? I mean, he is a point did, guard. But, that, you know, I think the difference in some of these guys, and he's probably going to learn, he's in a new role, and they're trying to shut him down. You know, he's no longer running around out there uh, with Io on the side of him and Kofi under the basket. He was the guy they tried to stop. And you know what? He didn't adjust. He tried to continue to force that action, and uh, he ran into some trouble. But I give Shaka a lot of credit. Those dudes played really, really hard for him. They resembled some of his teams at VCU because of the press and some of the changing defenses he didn't play at Texas. But adding a guy like Daryl Marcel to that fold, he's an instant winner. And don't be surprised if Marquette, after that win, doesn't take a huge jump with their confidence as they continue to go. You know, Shaka got a big shot in the arm. They earned a great win. But going forward, then with a new coach, new team, new pieces, boy, that's a believer. You know, they go back to practice that next day. It's a lot easier to listen to the coach when you get that win. Hey, John. I'm sorry. I, I, Go ahead. Okay. Um, you know, I was thinking about Kentucky when we were talking about them coming off of uh, their loss against Duke right right at the beginning. And you know, one of the things we talked a little bit about is is the importance of, of Wheeler to Kentucky's team. Yeah. If you're paying attention and you're watching these games now that the first one has ended and you watch them develop and, and improve, his assist rate, you know, I believe he led the SEC – an assist a year ago while he played at Georgia. He's picking up where he left off and he had eight assists again tonight. Yeah. He's settling in. And and when I watch them play, I think his meaning to their team is going to be really important towards them actually hitting their ceiling, becoming the best team that they can become. Right. Because as, as good as Ty Ty is at doing a lot of different things, you always want Ty Ty to be freed up to score some. Right. And having Wheeler out there with him, I think allows Ty Ty to really truly be the player that he is. And then we're actually taking for granted Oscar. I mean, he, the rebounds right yeah. now. I mean, the he guy 20, out, 24 and 16 tonight, and I think he has yeah. 56 rebounds in three games. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> I mean, he's averaging over 15 right. rebounds a game. And one of the one of the games that he's played has been against Duke. But you think about Oscar and, and that backcourt, uh, I think Kentucky is going to keep getting better and better. They will be in another stratosphere as a team comparing to who they were last year. It's not even close. Yeah. What do you think Hugs is, is doing as he watches Oscar come down with 56 rebounds in the first he's, three games? He's, he's not watching. Is he doing this? Is, is Hugs having he's a cold one? Hugs isn't watching Kentucky play. No. He's worried about the Mountaineers. Yeah, good, good point. How, how much do you guys? His characteristic is he's not worried about much. <laughs> Matter of fact, I, let me bring this up to you. What does a guy like him have to do to be in the Hall of Fame? It's insane. It's insane. I've been saying it for years. I think everybody in the industry, every coach feels the same way. It's so funny because, like, for people that don't know Hugs, I think they have the wrong perception of him as a, as a person. As yeah. a human being, like I remember the first time I ever met him, I was actually it was a 94 final four. I was a student. Arizona was in the final four and Bill Clinton was coming into the arena. So they stopped everybody. So I'm standing next to hugs and I'm a student and I'm intimidated as hell. Like the, the most intimidating people that I had met at that point in my life were probably like Carl Malone and Bob Huggins. And then when you get to know hugs, like he's a big teddy, but now he'll screw around with you. 
you know, like he did it. I, I think I had a game sideline at West Virginia. It was a Kansas-West Virginia game. And he totally like made fun of me during the, the the actual interview on air, which is which is great. Like, but hugs, hugs is just a guy that everybody likes in this industry. Every single media person, every single coach, pretty much every single player. Yet he has this this kind of I guess this reputation that goes back to Cincinnati, and I think that hurts him ultimately. I, I don't know what hurts him, but I know this: he's one of the greatest coaches that our game has seen to think about the places that he's won at. Right. You know, he, he's never been in that blue blood uh, stream. I mean, West Virginia, Akron, Cincinnati. I mean, those three terrific places to coach at. I know if you asked him, he would tell you he had great support at every stop, but you throw in Kansas state there for a brief period of time you know, he, he's done it at, at places that aren't always favored to win their conference, especially when you consider what he's also transitioned to as the head coach at West Virginia. When West Virginia went to the Big 12, there were a lot of people that counted them out, rolled their eyes, said what a terrible fit. You know, he's been in the Big East with West Virginia, but it just really doesn't matter. He's going to win. And, uh, and just to see, I believe he's fourth now all time in wins. Did he? I think he tied Coach Knight, or he either went one more win above him. So, you know, if you're fourth all time and wins, and you've been doing it as long as he's been doing it at the places that he's done it at, the players that he's had, I mean, I think he's very, very deserving. Every coach will probably say this, but if Kenyon Martin doesn't get hurt, he clearly, by a landslide, has a national championship under his belt. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. All right. Before we uh, we conclude this, uh, let, let's go to one of the stars of the night, a guy that's gotten a, a ton of publicity over the course of his young uh, life. And that is Memphis freshman Amani Bates coming fresh off a win against St. Louis earlier tonight. All right. Now, pleased to be joined by uh, Memphis freshman Amani Bates with 16 points tonight in a uh, 16 point win over St. Louis. Amani. This was your closest game of your three. You're three and zero now. Yeah. You've kind of gone under the radar as a as a team a little bit so far. What what have you learned so far in these three games in your first three in college? Um, really, just being in college, you got to like stay together. Like if you stay together, everything will go smoothly. But um, really, just learning the game, like you know, being around co- the coaches I have is just, like a blessing because I'm learning from people that have actually lived it, lived the life of being in the NBA and like coaching the NBA. And, you know, just being around them every day, I'm just trying to learn as much as I can. And, you know, just learn the defense, the offense, just try to stay ahead on on both ends. So I know there was the thought that you were going to play point for a minute there. And it looks like now you're going to play more off the ball, some on the ball, but probably mm-hmm. more off the ball. What What's your role been like so far and what's been the toughest adjustment?
the inside game when you, when you talk about Purdue and that's where it starts. That's where it stops. Cause if you can't deal with it, it's going to go inside a hundred times in a row. And I think Zach had 18 and 12 and 18 minutes and Travion had 20 and 13 and 20 minutes. And, uh, you know, Wright state is a very good team. They're going to compete to win the horizon. Uh, but that, uh, onslaught tonight, if you can't deal with it, um, you know, you're going to get hammered pretty good. I think it'll be very interesting to see North Carolina go up against them um, this next game because they don't have an answer if Baycott gets in foul trouble as well. And, um, you know, to me, it's just – it's going to be an unrelenting post-presence for 40 minutes with Purdue. There's no there's no time off uh, when you play them. They got other guys too. I think Caleb First had a great game tonight as a freshman – had a double-double maybe. Obviously, Jaden Ivey's good. But, you know, the thing with Purdue is you you hope that they don't make threes. You know, when they have that spacing around those guys, you're going to have to take some something away from them. And I think a few years ago when they had Haas in there, it was the same deal. And if they shot threes and made them, they were almost unbeatable. If they make threes, um, and that's what you're willing to give up, to try and take away the post game a little bit, they're going to be hard to deal with, but uh, I'll be very, very interested to see them play this weekend against those teams. And then they have a unique matchup with Florida state coming up uh, in Mackey, Uh, Florida state's different than they have been in the past, but Florida state's the type of team that won't let them run their stuff. And it'll be interesting to see how they handle that. But Purdue, um, they have the most unique attack that anyone in the country has that you have to guard against. You know, in a quiet way, Florida beating Florida State the other day, you know, that was, a, that was a great, great win. I know Florida State had really had Florida's number over the last, I believe, six, seven years. Yeah, that was and a big Florida, win. Florida to beat Florida State, that's one of those, again, early season non-conference wins that will go a long, long way towards helping the Gators be a part of this year's NCAA tournament. Uh, I always look at Purdue – from my vantage point, because I've never been in the Big Ten. And clearly, uh, you know, Matt has had so many good teams over his time there. But when they have that guard that can get, get his own shot, you know, they're, they're going to be system-driven. You know, they play, you know, they set screens, they run their stuff, they execute. Whatever they do, they execute. They execute on defense and offense. But you still need to have that player that when it's – tied up, he can kind of go get his own shot, right? Make got that. And I think yeah. that's what Jay Nivey gives him. And yep. not only do they have the two bigs and they have experience and they run their system, but you also have that one guy who could put it on the floor and beat you, get his own shot when it really, really matters. And, you know, that combination could be the difference for Purdue this year, not just being really good again, but, but being great. Hey, um, you guys both watched the Gonzaga Texas game the yes. other night. Yeah. So Chet obviously didn't do a whole lot in that game. It was all Drew Timmy. Chet didn't need to do a whole lot because you know Timmy at thirty seven and absolutely torched him in every way possible. I talked to Chet the next day for a while, and one of the things I told him was I was actually very impressed. He didn't force anything as a kid that could be the number one overall pick and probably go one or two with, with Paulo being the other one. He could have 
wanted to prove on national TV with everybody watching why he was worthy of being a top pick. And instead, he really did defer. They were winning. They could have easily, you know, he could have jacked some threes. He's seven feet, right? I mean, he could he could get some threes off any which way he wants, but he didn't. And his body language was really good. And yeah, I listen, I worry about him playing against like Texas came out, especially in the second half, and, and they were physical with him. And they banged, and he got a couple early fouls, and, you know, he, he had four, and he was to the bench. But what what were you guys most impressed with, or what were your thoughts of watching Chet Holmgren? I'll take this one, Arch. I'll start this off. Here's what I would say. Drew Timmy is the best offensive player in college basketball. He was the best offensive player last year. Jeff, last year on a team that went wire to wire, number one in the nation, lost to Baylor in the national championship game. He shot 341 twos. That is an insane amount of two-point shots. He made 231. For the record, that's 68%. He makes 68% of his two-point shots. I mean, he was so dominant in that game that in all due respect to Chet, and he is himself a very talented player, but when you're talking about winning now, if Drew Timmy was hurt, didn't play in that game against Texas, I don't know what stat line Chet would, would put up in that November game against Texas. His gift is Drew Timmy. Drew Timmy was the best offensive player in college basketball last year. He's the best offensive player in college basketball this year. I have not seen too many players on offense be a better like impact the game more than Drew Timmy does. You think about Christian Leitner, Tyler Hansborough. I mean, all those types of guys keep naming them, but you have to put Drew Timmy in there. I mean, the guy he plays is, as hard as Hansborough, Sean. Sean, he plays as hard as Tyler Hansborough, and he's far more skilled than Tyler Hansborough. Yeah, but I don't even mean to dismiss Chet because I, I know the talent, he, you know, where he's going to be and the career he's going to have. No, you're right. You're right. He's got Timmy to protect him almost yeah. in a way. And you talk about, you know, college basketball, November and December, games being important. You know, some of Gonzaga's wins here that they get early on, these quality wins, it's going to be because of Drew Timmy, not Chet Holmgren. And they'll continue to develop. Mark Few's done this as well as anybody who's ever coached the game of college basketball, Chet will keep getting more and more comfortable and they'll play together better and better. But man, I tell you what, Drew Timmy scoring with his left hand, his right hand, he scores on rolls. He shoots a teardrop from like 12 or 15 feet. He's an improved free throw shooter. He's a good passer. Uh, he has unreal confidence. Like when you watch him play, his confidence just exudes out, you know, from him. You know, it just, you can't help but to be, confident being his teammate you know I'm just I'm so impressed with him as a player uh, that I thought he was the storyline yeah I think the other thing that was very evident as we watched the game was how great of a point guard they have right now in them yes. they have as good a point guard play probably as anybody in the country and he's surrounded by these bigs who can create offense form finish do the whole thing Nemhart to me is a difference maker. I mean, he is no slouch at all when it comes to like the importance of what they're doing, but Chet's impact as he keeps going, you know, I think is teams are going to have to guard drew Timmy 
with their biggest, strongest player. And Chet sometimes is going to get six foot five to six foot seven, four men. And I think as time goes, you're going to start to see him pick on those little guys with the lobs and the high lows and stuff. But I think he's going to stuff the stat sheet. I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't average, you know, 10, eight and six blocks or something like that. But his impact on the game is going to come in a lot of statistical areas. Shot blocking being something I think that he's very unique at in the way he blocks shots. He can change the game. How he impacts the game on offense, though, you know, teams are going to have to decide how they want to guard Drew Timmy. And he's going to be the beneficiary of sometimes probably a much smaller player where he can get them in and around the rim and on the glass at times. All right. Well, listen, uh, Arch, Sean, uh, thanks for uh, joining us tonight. Field of 68 after dark. We're going to actually go to uh, on our way out here. We're going to try the Imani Bates interview again, the Memphis freshman. We're going to see if we can, uh, if we can get it right this time. And uh, here he is Memphis freshman Imani Bates after the win tonight against all right, now pleased to be joined by uh, Memphis freshman Imani Bates with 16 points tonight in a 16-point uh, win over St. Louis. Imani, this was your closest game of your three. You're 3-0 and now. Yeah. You've kind of gone under the radar as a, as a team a little bit so far. What, what have you learned so far in these three games in your first three in college? Um, really, just being in college, you got to, like, stay together. Like, if, we, if you stay together, everything will go smoothly. But um, really just learning the game. Like, you know, being around co- the coaches I have is, like, a blessing because I'm learning from people that have actually lived it, lived the life of being in the NBA and, like, coaching the NBA. And, you know, just being around them every day, I'm just trying to learn as much as I can. And, you know, just learn the defense, the offense, just try to stay ahead on, on both ends. So I know there was the thought that you were going to play point for a minute there and – it looks like now you're going to play more off the ball, some on the ball, but probably more mm-hmm. off the ball. What, what's your role been like so far, and what's been the toughest adjustment uh, with your role? Um, whatever really coach needs, but like being being on the ball and off the ball has helped my game like a lot since I've been here. Like I look way better as a player when finding my teammates, you know, and then my game gets to go on, my teammates get to go on, and then whenever I need to score, like, coach will come up to me and, like, he'll tell me, like, all right, let's get it, let's get it going. And I just try to do as much as I can just to help my team win. I, all I want to do is win. Has the, the most difficult part of it, has it been, you know, the physical part of it? Obviously, we talked about it. You know, you, you reclassify. You should be in high school right now. You're trying to put on weight. You've done some of that. Uh, but has that been the, the toughest part, just the, the difference physically going from high school to college? Um, Not really. To me, because I've always been playing up, like, my whole life. So I'm kind of used to, like, the physicality, like, part. Like, that was something that I did growing up that helped me now, like, to be ready for this because, like, I always played up. Even when I was in fifth grade, I would play with seniors, like, you know, just to get used to, like, being being able to play older people. And like not being like afraid or anything. So really just learning the offense and the defense, like you said, it's just making it 10 times easier, no matter like how strong they are. Because when you test their head, it's like it's my it's a mind game, it's a mental game. You know, when I talked to Penny in the preseason, the word he used was was sacrifice. Mm-hmm. You know, I use chemistry. He said sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. That's gonna be the key to this team. How mm-hmm. has it been so far with kind of everybody figuring out that hey, it may not be my turn tonight? I'm going to defer, and it's going to be somebody else's tonight. Um, Really, we're just trying to, like, all win. So we really are just trying to do the right thing and in a positive way, though. 
because we don't want it to be in a negative way because now, now the team's not happy. So we really just all want to be happy and, like, win the game and play together and enjoy enjoy every time we step out there together. So we've heard a lot about Paulo. We've heard <laughs> a lot about Chet. Yeah. You've kind of got under the radar here, like I said, not just as a team, but as an individual. Mm. Um, what's that been like for you? <laughs> that That's not normal for you. Yeah, um, really, I feel disrespected just because of my age. That's exactly that's what it is, just because of my age. So it's like I feel disrespected, but at the same time, it's God's plan. And, you know, I'm going to keep following that and just keep trying to get better for my team to win. That's all I'm focused on right now. I don't care about nothing else. Well, you got some good games coming up soon. So I think you guys will continue to be tested. It was, you know, Tennessee Tech, uh, NC Central, St. Louis, kind of stepping it up each game. But it certainly gets tougher from here. Imani, I appreciate you joining us. Field 68 after dark. Good to see you. And uh, hopefully I'll see you soon. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thanks, man. Okay.